Here's the question. And the reason I didn't want us to open our Bibles just yet, because the answer is right there and you won't have to think. I'm not looking for the correct answer. I am looking for all answers that we can come up with off the top of our head. All right. So and what I'm going to do is I will write as you shout answers at me. Uh, I will write them down. And the whole idea is that we'll kind of get the creative juices flowing and, and our paying attention uh, juices going. The question on the board is, what is God? And your answer can be anything uh, that, that you know to be true from Scripture. All right? I didn't appoint anybody to go first, but if you'll throw your hand up, I'll call on you. All right. Let's stop there. We'll leave, we'll leave it up on the board. And uh, <clears throat> so we got love, spirit, omniscient. We, somebody resisted the urge, and I appreciate it, to just rattle off the other two O's. Omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, right? All-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere. Creator, Father, unchanging, holy, sovereign, judge, light, power, redeemer, strength, grace, righteous, comforter, forgiving, and merciful. And I'm reading them off because anybody on the live stream probably can't see most of the whiteboard behind us. So... Now that we've got all of those answers to the question, what is God? Or we might say titles for God. Let's look at 1 John chapter 1. And if you look at verse 5, which is where we left off last week, you see... This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. <clears throat> when our culture talks about God and what he is, I don't think I've ever heard somebody refer to him as light. It's, it's not often you, and when I say our culture, I mean our evangelical Christian church culture. Um, it's, it's, I think, probably much more common that we would hear some of those other words that got suggested when you answer the question, what is God? When you, in your own mind, think about the question, what is God, um, I'm assuming we, you know, we probably covered the gamut. I don't think there was a lot left that we could have put on the board up there. Um, but I also think that there might be answers to the question, what is God? That uh, in the experience of your life, as you've been going along, uh, when you're going through something, especially something difficult, those answers might not be the first thing that comes to your mind when you think, what is God? Because we tend to view <clears throat> and appreciate and evaluate those who we are in relationship with. We tend to view them through the lens of our circumstances. So what I'm in the midst of, what I'm going through, will determine how I look at you and what I think of you. Does that make sense? What I'm going through that involves you will definitely affect how I think of you and what I think of you. So in the case of um, when you're a younger and you're under your parents' authority and you want to do something that you need their permission to do and they say, no, you can't do that, 
the way that, like if somebody said, what is your dad or what is your mom, the way that you would answer the question in that circumstance is different than the way you would answer that question half an hour before Christmas morning starts. Yeah, it's just human nature. <clears throat> so if we could get an honest answer to the question, what is God, when we're in the midst of real struggle, real difficulty in life, we might, again, if we could get an honest answer, we might see uh, words on the board like distant, uncaring, mean, judgmental, hurtful, disinterested. Even though we know because we're well taught those things are not true of God. God does not describe himself that way anywhere in scripture. As you're experiencing life, there are times when it's hard to reconcile all of those things that God says he is with the experience that you're actually having, right? If God is good, why am I going through fill in the blank? If God is merciful, why am I feeling like fill in the blank? If God is love, why is my marriage falling apart? Why are my kids going bananas? No, what we learn from good preaching and good teaching is that we have to bring our feelings about who God is under the restraint of what he said about himself. And the longer that you walk with God in life, the better you'll get at not letting it eke out when you're feeling like he's actually mean, he's actually distant, he actually doesn't care about you, he's actually just judgmental. You won't let those things squirt out when you're in the middle of a difficult time, but they're still in there. We are still prone to wander and think things about God that aren't true. And I'm not up here to say, and it's okay, because it's not. We shouldn't think th thoughts of God that are unworthy of him. So John says, the message we've heard and we proclaim to you is that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So what do you do with frowning dark providences in your life? That if he's sovereign, which we wrote it up there, he definitely decreed that dark circumstance in your life. What do you do with that? I think we have to understand what it means that God is light so that we rightly interpret our circumstances. John is teaching us that God is morally, ethically perfect and pure. Right? So let's look at some verses. 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16 or if you're taking notes, John 1, 4 and 5. And then John 3, 19 through 21. This is the one who dwells in unapproachable light. That's how the scriptures are describing God, who 1 John 1, 5 said, is light and in him there is no darkness. He dwells in unapproachable light. John 1, 4 and 5. All right, now this is different. This is saying <clears throat> in Jesus was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It's telling us again that 
because God is light and he dwells in unapproachable light, there is a direct link between the life that's found in Jesus Christ and the light that is God, who is morally and ethically perfect and pure. Are we okay? All right. Uh, John 3, 19, 20, and 21. The judgment is light came into the world. Mm. So clear once you have that in its context. So 1 John 1, 5, God is light. All right. In 1 Timothy, God dwells in unapproachable light. Then in the Gospel of John chapter 1, in him was life, and life was the light of men. Shines in darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. And then you have the judgment. Light came into the world. Moral, pure perfection came into the world in the person, Jesus Christ. God wrapped himself in flesh, and the light which is unapproachable, where he dwells, became a man. And it was the life that was the light of men. Perfect moral ethical purity is unapproachable by human beings because why? Well, because those who are doing deeds in darkness don't want to come into the light lest their deeds be exposed. So what does God do? I mean, he could have, turned, he could have shown light on the whole earth, exposed everyone's deeds, and then sat in, in completely righteous judgment over all of the sins of all of mankind forever. Instead, what he does in one sense, is he dims the light so that we might have life and hope. He takes perfect moral ethical purity, wraps it in the same thing we're all made of, yet without sin, comes to earth and lives and loves and heals and cares for and provides for broken, sinful, evil humanity that we might comprehend the light and embrace it by faith. So when John says, this is the message we heard from the beginning, that he is light, and in him is no darkness at all, the idea being communicated first positively, God is light, and then negatively, in him is no darkness at all, is one of God possessing absolute moral purity. When John tells us that God is light, he is establishing the eternal truth in our minds that God is morally perfect. The problem then emerges by contrast, and we see it in verse 6. So First John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So flagrant sin, or we could call it blatant, glaring, obvious, overt, evident, conspicuous, naked, barefaced, shameless, brazen, audacious, brass-necked sin in your life is evidence that you do not have fellowship with God. 
Let me read the verse in 1 John 1 again, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, you cannot claim to be walking with the source of moral purity and perfection, drawing from that source all that you need for life and godliness and then live a life of open rebellion. It cannot happen. So here's where uh, some of you are going to feel like I've undergone a personality change in the last week. But this is where I would say, I think over, overall my preaching is pretty balanced. And I'm going to lean hard one direction one Sunday, and I'm going to lead hard another direction another Sunday, because the Bible does that. But if you are a sexually active teenager who's not married, you are lying if you think you have fellowship with God. If you're, if you're unfaithful to your spouse and you're just doing it, you are lying if you think you have fellowship with God. You don't. You can't. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is morally pure and ethically perfect. You do not get to live in flagrant open sin and claim that you are in the light. It's not possible. All right. Consider Proverbs 15.3. I'll just read it. I felt like there was too much time gap in having you all participate. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, seeing the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, seeing the evil and the good. Think back to Galatians with me, if you're with us. And we're going to go back, not quite two years, but quite a ways. Uh, What does licentiousness do? And I realize if you weren't with us, I have to set the table first before we can eat. So let me do that real quick. The, The whole theme of Galatians is that righteousness does not come by by uh, accomplishing obedience to the law. That's not where righteousness comes from for us. Righteousness for the human being comes through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the whole message of the gospel. We are brought into fellowship with God because of the uh, atoning work of Jesus Christ. So, Uh, What happens, though, after you become a Christian, after you're in the fold, is you will find that you are at war with the remaining deeds of the flesh. So just because you became a Christian doesn't mean you now walk in moral perfection, but you battle. You do war against the desires of the flesh. You cannot just run in sin and it's no problem for you because you hate it. You want to do what's right. So the way Paul describes this in Romans 7 is, I find then this truth, that evil is present with me, the one who wants to do good. And the things that I want to do, I don't do them. And the things that I don't want to do, I do them. In Galatians, he puts it this way, so then the spirit wages war with the flesh. 
And that means that the Christian is somebody who now has two real desires that exist in them simultaneously. One to do evil and the other one to be pleasing to God. What does licentiousness do? Licentiousness says you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter because Jesus died for sins, which removes the warfare and gives you freedom quote unquote, to run in all kinds of evil and then wipe your mouth and say you've done no wrong because God will forgive me anyway. That's evil. You can't do that. There is no room in the gospel, in the authentic gospel to do that. You will either seriously try to walk in obedience to what Jesus commanded or you're lying about your relationship with God. In John's context, I don't know if this is worth anything to you, but I'm going to throw it in at no extra charge. You've got folks that had diminished the value of anything involving flesh. This, this kind of Gnostic slash docetic impulse to say that Jesus didn't really become a man. He just looked like he was because flesh is so worthless that God would never inhabit it. Therefore, way down the road, what we do with our flesh doesn't matter. That's what he's combating. Not so, says John. If we say we have fellowship with God, yet Walk in darkness. Literally, walk in darkness means uh, to tread around in the shadows of evil things. That's the literal translation. While claiming to be a child of light, if we tread around in the shadows of evil things while claiming to be a child of light, we are lying. This is not telling you that if you have remaining sin in your life, you're lying and have no fellowship with God. Let me say that again, because it's important. This is not telling you that if you have remaining sin in your life, you're a liar and God doesn't want anything to do with you. What it is saying is that pretending to have fellowship with God when you're really just living in licentious sinfulness makes you nothing more than a liar. Which means the following things are not going to be true of you. Psalm 27 verse 1. Let's look there together. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Yeah. Do you love that verse? Do you love that verse? Yeah, I want that verse. I want that to be my life verse. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who, who should I fear? What, is, what am I going to be afraid of? The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? Yeah, I want that when, you know, from my perspective, and not that I'm going to get all political and I don't want to freak anybody out, but I told Sam like four or five years ago, we were talking in the car and he, I was giving him my doomsday perspective and he's like, when do you think this is all going to happen? And I said, I think 2024, 2025, it's all going to come unraveled the economy, the, the, all of the different bubbles, all this stuff's going to pop. I don't think our votes really count. I think we live in an oligarchy. Like all, I did all that to him, and he was really too young to have to absorb all of that, but I, I didn't want him to be you know, walking in darkness. So there's this, 
there's this promise in scripture <laughs> that in spite of, I mean, if you're living in, remember I told you the story of Eddie Hilsom in uh, the, the Polish Christian who ended up in a concentration camp and a, a scrap piece of her diary was found uh, that she threw out of the train uh, as, or flew out of the train as, as she was being hauled to the concentration camp. And it said, I suppose at the end of the day, it doesn't make much difference whether you live life inside or outside of the camp. Because she understood this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall, shall I fear? So let them set up their FEMA camps and come and get us, right? Like I, I, and I love preppers. I do. I love you all with your hundreds of thousands of rounds of ammunition and your K rations and all that stuff. Good for you. But like the real substance of why I'm not always in a bad mood gritching about the government is this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Uh, whom shall I fear? The Lord's the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? He's appointed the day that I'm going to die in the manner of my death. I'm not going to sit and worry about that. Now, that takes discipline. And I want this verse to be my life verse. I didn't say it is. I want it to be. But here's the deal. If we say that we have fellowship with God, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Which means Psalm 27.1 is not true of you. If you are somebody who is living in, and it might be hidden away where nobody can see it, but it's still flagrant, open, sinful, brass-necked rebellion. If you're living in a way that is contrary to everything that God's commanded, you don't get to claim the promise of Psalm 27.1. And you will find, strangely enough, that your life is marked by a great deal of fear, anxiety, and worry. And you'll read verses like that and go, man, I wish that was true for me. In Psalm 36.9, the psalmist says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. That's Psalm 36, 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Again, <laughs> I want to properly, rightly evaluate things, right? So I don't watch the news because if, if you've ever been in proximity to a news story, like you were part of whatever ends up in the news, you already know nothing that they portray is actually what happened. So, but, but we'll watch the news and be like, I can't, believe, I can't believe that happened. It didn't. That's not at all what happened. It's just they're, what they're portraying. And I'm not saying they're, they're all liars. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's like the whole telephone game, right? We go around the room. By the time the message gets back, it's nothing remotely resembling what it started as. Okay. All that to say, <laughs> if you want to rightly evaluate what's going on, you need to be in the light. You need to be walking with God. You need to be in fellowship with God. If you live in flagrant, open, sinful rebellion, your ability to properly understand what's happening around you is going to be diminished. I'm not going to say it's non-existent, but you're going to be handicapped in evaluating your marriage and having wisdom when it comes to dealing with your kids, with your grandkids, with your great-grandkids, if you're living in sin, you're diminished in your capacity to understand what's happening. For with 
you, with God, with him, with him, in fellowship with him is life. And in your light do we see light. Outside of his light, what you see is confusion. And even a blind squirrel finds a nut now and then. Your ability to properly evaluate, prioritize, and engage with what's good and what makes for human flourishing will be diminished. Isaiah 9.2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Not if you're in open rebellion to God. You get what I'm saying? You don't enjoy salvation if you're walking in disobedience and evil. You can't have it both ways. If you, if you dwell in darkness, you've not experienced the light of salvation. In James 1.17, uh, so we'll go New Testament, he says every gift Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom or in whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And here's where everybody has to say amen. Because in seasons of your life, when you're walking in disobedience, when you're just in sin and you're like, ah, I'll deal with it later. What you find is that your life is especially marked by variation and shadow and shifting. Everything becomes unstable when you're walking in wickedness. You don't enjoy this uh, good gift and perfect gift coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow because you are the definition of variation and shifting shadow when you're walking in evil. So let's review. I, I guess what I'm, I'm, the, the point I'm trying to get across... And I'm sorry if I'm failing to do it. Is that it's not a matter of this hypocrisy being forbidden. That's not what I'm trying to illuminate. It's unacceptable to be a hypocrite. That's not. I'm trying to say this hypocrisy is not possible. All of us have some hypocrisy because we have remaining sin. All of us. But there's a point, and I don't know where it is for you. It might be different than it is for me. I don't know. There's a point at which it becomes not hypocrisy, but just you're just deceived. And you're deceiving others with your self-deception. You don't know God, and you think you do. But everyone who has this hope, 1 John 3, everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself as he is pure. That's got to be happening. If it's not happening, you just don't know him. All right, so let's review. God is light, which means perfect moral and ethical purity, right? And he's the source of all good things. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we're lying. So he's light. If we're walking in darkness, are we in fellowship with the light? No. So the first blessing that John mentions of the fellowship we have with God, fascinatingly, is fellowship with one another. Verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us 
from all sin. It is not... All right, all right. Let me try to say this as broadly as possible. I look at other church websites from time to time, uh, just out of curiosity, not because I'm trying to copy anything anybody else is doing, I assure you of that. And for some reason, yesterday while I was sermon prepping, there were these ads that used to play for Lord, I don't know if you're supposed to say, whatever, I'm going to say, nobody, nobody cares. Uh, Lord of Hosts Church, back in the day. And they had this jingle that played at the end that I always found hilarious. Uh, and I was like, I wonder if that joint's still around. So I went, I searched it up online, and sure enough, they are. And I was like looking through their website, and I'm like, man, event after event after event after event, and group after group after group after group, and, and, and like so much going on. So much going on. And I was like, wow. Like, if you're part of that, when do you, like, what else is there to do other than that thing, that, that organization? And uh, I, I, I had this thought, like, fellowship, shared life, does not result from the church creating opportunities for people to be together. That was the thought that I had. Fellowship, shared life. Now, you're going to have to either agree with me or disagree with me, okay? Shared life is not the result of the church, leadership, committees, creating opportunities for people to get together. Agree or disagree? You have to agree because last week I made the case that our community results from each of us individually apprehending and believing by faith the promise of the gospel and becoming a child of God, which puts us into the body of Christ and gives us fellowship with one another. Right? Right? Okay, so then he says in verse 7 here, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses cleanses us from all sin. If fellowship is not the result of the church producing a large number of activities for people to participate in, and it is the result of each member walking with God, what does that tell you? I'm going to let you be the judge. What does that tell you about people who don't ever want a fellowship? When this little church, this little rinky-dink hobo church in Springfield, with our very limited number of programs that we even have, and we're going to do one of them this morning, right? Or it might be afternoon by the time I get done, but we're supposed to have our our brown bag Sunday. It's just to bring something to eat and let's sit down for 15, 20 minutes after service and break bread together. And some of you routinely scatter. You don't want to be part of it. You don't want to participate. You don't, you don't make any steps in preparing for that moment when this church gets together and does that. What, am, what, are, what are we supposed to think of that? Now, hopefully we'll assume the best, right? Not You, you don't care because you don't love God. That, that's not what I'm going to think. But what message are you communicating when you can't be here? It's not a priority. 
What is that saying about your heart and your relationship with your heavenly father that you could eh, kind of take or leave his people? We're supposed to be knitting our hearts together in Christ. And I am not, look right at me, I am not about to program that. I am not about to simulate that. That is either going to happen because this church is made up of people who are walking in the light together or it's not going to happen. It might be a pretty small group. Thanks be to God, we're here. We're doing it. Everybody that I see on Sunday mornings, I'm like, man, I'm glad to see them. It wasn't always like that for me. So I really enjoy this. The community which develops around fellowship with God is a community of sinners being cleansed of sin. It is not a community of people who never fail. That's your tweetable or whatever the verb is now. All right, Acts 2, final whiteboard question. Uh, You were told, you were instructed uh, to meditate on Acts 2, 42 through 47. That was your assignment when we got done with church last week. So here's the question. What happens... What happens when we devote ourselves to apostolic teaching, which means the Bible, and fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers? What happens when we devote ourselves to this, to this, to the breaking of bread, eating together, and prayer? If the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved, it suggests to me that one outcome of us developing in community is that more and more sinners are going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I don't care if they join this church. I care that the roles of heaven are getting filled up. That should be reason enough alone to show up and to stick around and try to be the last one to leave. So we're, we're drawing to Jesus. We're developing a community. We're going to deploy to culture eventually. The, the overarching goal is to display the, Lord, the glory of God. Right now, we're focusing on developing a community. And we're going to see that uh, the outcome of our faith is that we will develop in community. I am not up here saying... Uh, We've got to grit our teeth and try harder to develop in community. That's not at all what I mean. However, the Bible just warned you this morning that part of the reason you're not developing in community, to whatever degree you're not, is that you, you possibly are just walking in darkness and lying to yourself. That's a scary thought. I don't believe the litmus test of whether or not you're walking with God is whether or not you have a lot of friends at church. But I do think it's a sign, a signal that we can look at. Do I care about these people? Or am I just here because it's what I do? And really, 
Monday through Saturday, I'm hiding something dark. The only thing I haven't addressed, and I'm sorry for waiting until the last few seconds to say this, really simply, is that if you are walking in darkness, and you have been lying to yourself and to people around you, and you don't have fellowship with God, the solution could not be simpler or easier. And we'll see it next week in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you need to do that, you've got a few more minutes here before we head out there and sit down to have a, a little bit of programmed fellowship together. And I hope and I pray that you will. All right? Let's go to him in prayer.